Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to Hey Kerwin, where you have the questions and I give the answers. Phil again, when you have your time out with your son, do you talk to him a lot about being level as well? Like if he's starting to go a bit crazy or running around oh, a bit absolutely. over the top? Oh, yeah. absolutely. He even knows, like we use, he hears the term and he understands what the term regulation means. Um, at the age of about two and a half, I actually started teaching him how to do deep breathing. And do you know how I taught him to do deep breathing? I showed him. Like when he would start getting a little bit, you know, a little bit, uh, a little bit crazy like kids like to do, I would literally go, no, no, do this with me. Go, and like at first, like trying to get a two and a half year old to do that, like it was like fucking, it wasn't going to happen. But literally I just kept on doing it and I kept on doing it. And then slowly but surely he started going, and even now, he even now, like if, he, if I see him getting a little bit crazy, I'll say, okay, buddy, let's just take a breath. 70% of the time, if I'm lucky, maybe 80% of the time, he'll slop, slow down. And again, I'll get down to his level. Say, hey, buddy, come over here. All right, just do me a favor. Let's take a deep breath together. We'll go, and about 70% of the time, he'll take a deep breath with me. But what's really fascinating now, the kid is fucking four and a half, and I, will, I actually have, I catch him now all the time when he starts getting over, overactive, he actually self-regulates now. I can't, I've lost count of how many times I've seen him getting all hyped up and he'll stop and he'll go, and then keep going on. You know, I think uh, uh, Jenna and, um, what's the, Julie. Julie. <laughs> that was so fast. Um, you know, I did some work with Jenna and Julie, gosh, that was what, two years ago? About two years ago, because he had a, a little bit of a, a bit of a stammer. And, you know, he used to get so excited that he couldn't get his words out. And that was actually one of the reasons that I started to teach him how to regulate, because he would get so excited that he couldn't communicate properly. And so now, when he, re he auto-regulates or self-regulates the most, it's when he stammers. I've taught him, like, it's just been so conditioned into him that when he starts to stammer, that he takes a deep breath, that he often now just does it. Like, if he starts to stammer, which is very, very rare, but he just naturally knows how to do that. Kids, and this is the thing we've got to understand, kids are so, so effing smart. They are so so, so smart and they model and the thing is if we want to teach kids how to do do you know the worst way to teach a kid to do something tell them tell them telling kids to do something is the worst way to teach them the best way to teach any child is through demonstration you know my child then the reason my kid I don't know if you guys follow my Instagram stories like my kid he's four and a half and he fucking takes warm-up at his jiu-jitsu and the kids in his like he's one of the younger kids in his jiu-jitsu but in kids in his jiu-jitsu class are up to the age of like six and he takes the warm-up where he gets them going through push-ups, sit-ups, you know, star jumps, burpees. When I do my workouts in the morning, like, he will literally sit beside me and, you know, because if, if I'm not training, on days where I'm actually not training, I actually will do 100 push-ups for time. And uh, he'll get in there with me and he'll count me. And he'll, you know, sit there and he'll be like, his push-ups are like, he does like quarter push-ups. But um, he gets in there with me. And so what's interesting is I see him modeling that behavior with his friends. Like I, I've, I uh, FaceTime him twice a day at the moment because uh, he's really missing me qu um, quite heavily at the moment. And so whenever I get on the phone with him, it's interesting of the, uh, gosh, of the, in the last three days, and the six times that I've spoken in the last three days, three of those times, he said, Daddy, watch me do push-ups. And he'll drop on the floor and start doing push-ups. And normally, but normally he asks his mum, he's like right into kickstart my heart at the moment, like fucking Motley Crue. Like, did anyone see my Instagram story the other day? Like it was in the morning, like at like 8am and he's singing, like he's singing kickstart my heart, but never stopped. Whoa, yeah, baby. And then there's another one at like fucking 10am and he's still singing it. And then there's another one at 11am where we're going for a run together. We go for runs together. We ran to the shop. He sang it to the whole way. Like he's, he's just, he models. And he'll ask me to put that song on because that's our workout song. And so whenever he hears that song now, he wants to work out. Man, kids are fucking smart. Hi, Kevin. I'm Annie. Hi, Annie. Um, hi there. 
Um, what are you manifesting for yourself for the next 10 years? What I'm manifesting for myself for the, for the next 10 years right now um, would be greater health. Um, and I, look, I, I almost feel like I'm ready to manifest a great relationship. Like I, I, I've really been putting a, a lot of work since the separation with my, my wife. I've been doing a lot of work on myself and I, I really, for the next 10 years, I want to make sure that I move into the next phase of my life in a very healthy relationship. And the best way for me to do that is for me to just do as much work on myself as possible to get me to the point where I feel like I'm ready for a next relationship, if that makes sense. Like I, the relationship I had with my wife, I felt very ready for that relationship and it gave me exactly what I needed at that time. But it also showed me parts of myself at the end of that relationship that still weren't healed, that were brought to this, and that's what I honestly believe that some relationships serve as a person, is they bring our issues to the surface so that we know that we've got stuff to work on. Uh, and for me, you know, I'm very incredibly grateful to Chris, and I, love, I still love her dearly, because she's brought a lot of stuff to the surface that I'm now actually getting to deal with for the first time in my entire life. And so for me, in the next 10 years, I'd love nothing more to find a, a really, a relative healthy balance, uh, which I think is a fucking myth, like um, our boy Mr. Mr. Goggins. But yeah, just you know, move into a healthy relationship um, that allows me to just continue to do what I do at the highest possible level. Beautiful, thank yeah. you. You're welcome. Hey, Cohen. Um, hey, buddy. What's your name? Ming. My name hey, is Ming. Ming. Uh, my question is, what? piece of advice would you give to somebody who is just starting their business and doesn't have much experience in running a business or anything like that? Be a sponge. And you honestly, and this is for you, right? You're, you are literally, like, you need to make the, you need to be networking fucking harder, faster, longer than anyone else in this room. Because, you know, as a startup in the early stage of the business, the biggest deficit that you have is skills, knowledge, and experience. You know? And the reason that most startups fail is because they don't have skills, knowledge, and experience. And the reason that so many startups fail is because they don't seek because they may not have, because having a deficit is one thing, but not trying to fill that deficit through the pursuit of skills, knowledge, and experience through other people who already have it, that's an even bigger deficit. So my advice is like, you are surrounded by you know, businesses from you know, positions that are similar to yours in startup to $35 million, $50 million businesses in this room. My advice is talk to as many people as you can and don't be biased based on industry. Don't be looking for a particular, oh, I want to talk to someone in this. And that, by the way, that, that's the biggest mistake that people make is they want to learn from people in an industry. I think that is like ludicrous. You know, some of the biggest breakthroughs that you will have, some of the biggest breakthroughs that I've had, especially with clients, is taking ideas and concepts and in some cases even strategies and tactics from other industries and deploying them in industries that have never considered them because it's not something that they do. Um, so be a sponge, network like crazy and really ask and this is something that I learned the hard way when I almost drowned um, in, at Burley Heads is it's, ask for help before you need it. You know, most people, like I, I, uh, I'll give you the short version because we are limited for time and I want to answer as many questions as possible. Um, I, was, I lived on the Gold Coast for about two and a half years. Uh, I started surfing on the Gold Coast. I learned how to surf. I'm a longboard surfer, so which is typically not big waves. Uh, but one day I went down to Burley Heads and it was massive fucking surf. And I'm, you know, I'm a little bit of a nut and I had my big board and I had two mates with me and I didn't want to embarrass myself uh, by saying no to going in because they were all keen. So we all jumped in the water, we all paddled out. But as soon as we got out there, I got context of how big these fucking waves were and they were fucking monstrous. And everyone was looking at us like we're nuts because you've got a longboard in a big wave and that just makes no fucking sense whatsoever. I didn't even know that at the time because I was so fresh at surfing. Long story short, um, we all realised it was too dangerous. We tried to get in. I got smashed on the way in. My, my, uh, my leg rope broke. My board got push, pulled away. 
and I'm, I'm in, I was being sucked into the break zone of these monster sets, and I could see, literally, like probably 10 metres past where, that cam where Alex is the cameraman, I could see a, um, a lifeguard, and he had his back to me, and he was talking to a chick on the beach. And I remember thinking to myself, I really should ask for help and put my hand up and start fucking waving. And I thought to myself, don't be an idiot. You're fucking fit. You can swim. Just fucking swim out of this. And I couldn't get out. And I'm a lifesaver. Like, I was a lifesaver in, in high school. And, you know I, know, I know the drill. Just fucking stay calm. Allow the rip to pull you out. But I was, I, was in a, I, was in a, I was in a fucking washing machine. I wasn't getting out. And I remember just thinking at some point, okay, now I need to ask for help. And as soon as I realized I needed to ask for help, I went to put my hand up and my whole body went into cramp because I'd been burning so much lactic acid and I had so much adrenaline and so much cortisol, my body literally went into cramp. And I was like, fucking hell. I'm like, like, I don't know if you've ever been in that position before where you can't move and you're like going to your body, fucking move. And the body's going, eh. And I, I literally started to panic and I fell below the waterline. And literally as I fell below the waterline, I saw the fucking, the, 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 the surface of the water just getting further away. And I remember looking up and I remember clear as day thinking, not like this. No, I don't want to be remembered as the fucking idiot who went out on the big waves on a board, on a big board in big waves. Like, no, I remember just thinking, that, I didn't think that, but I just remember thinking, not like this, not like this. And then I saw this hand come down, literally through the water, it's like, you know, the, the, the oxygen, the, the air was streaming off the fingers as he came down and grabbed me by the fucking scruff of the hair, pulled me up over his board, young kid, paddled me in. Put me down, paddled out, got my board, brought it back in, put my board in. Like, I'm fucking coughing up fucking seawater and I'm splurting, I'm crying. Like, I was fucking in shock. And then he just jumps in the water and fucks off. And I remember, <laughs> it was just like it was nothing. And uh, David was his name. Um, and I just remember thinking at the time, fuck, I nearly died. It was like, I know I nearly died. And I, that was fucking close. And that was, that was one of those moments where I was like, I really should have asked for help earlier. And I always use that story in situ situations of business because most people don't ask for help in business until it's too late. Most people don't ask for help with their health until it's too late. Most people don't ask for help in their relationship until it's too late. And so I really try and, and I'm, I'll be honest with you, more than anyone, I'm not fantastic at asking for help. You know, I'm the kind of, I'll fucking get it done kind of guy myself. But I've learned when you're in trouble, Ask for help before you need it. Ask for help before you're below the waterline. So my advice to you, network like crazy, absorb, but ask for help before you need it. That is the best time for you, my friend. Awesome. Thanks, Cohen. You got it. One, two, three. All right, blue. Uh, hey, Cohen. It's Greg here. Hey, Greg. Uh, Cohen, we see a lot of your one percenters. So you've got a little bit of air stuff that floats up behind you in the office. You do your intermittent fasting, a um, lot of fitness stuff. What's your two percenter that's external to that? So I see you've got a mat thing that you lie on with, with goggles on, and, and I know you're going to buy a water thing at some stage. I've got a list here. Um, <laughs> you know, you do your, your ketones and your supplements. So yeah. what is it for you that gives you a bit more externally that like, we can all just go out there and buy tomorrow and we've got 2% more. Like a 2% versus a 1% strategy. Okay, that's really interesting. So I, I would probably, cl I'd classify intermittent fasting as a 2% strategy. I'd yep. classify meditation Got as a 2% strategy. Yep. Um, I would uh, classify, you know, good nutrition, health and exercise as a 2% strategy. Um, so they, they to me are, are probably my fundamentals. Would I say the mat is a 2%er? Like I use an, what's it called, an IMRS mat, 
which is technology that was developed by NASA for astronauts. Because when astronauts are in space, they're actually um, removed from the magnetic field and the polarities of the Earth. And what a lot of people don't realize is our body was designed to live on Earth. Our body wasn't actually designed to live in fucking Mars or in space. And when we actually take our body away from the electromagnetic field that is the Earth, uh, all of our organs, all of our body has literally has been tuned. Like, consider the Earth is like this massive humming, like, uh, gong and it's making this hong and that gong noise radiates and resonates through your entire body creating a frequency within all of your organs and your different organs so all of your different organs have a a, a resonance frequency or a bioresonance frequency that is has been created and affected by the earth's magnetic field and what happens is is when we become you know, when we get exposed to, you know, EMFs um, and other forms of, you know, electro, electromagnetic pollution and, um, and just, you know, toxins in the air, different organs start operating at different levels. And what happens is the bioresonance or the resonance, the frequency of the different organs starts to be affected and they start to then affect the whole resonance of the body. And so what the mat does is they used to use it for astronauts because astronauts would go into space and they would be separated from the Earth's magnetic field and their bodies would start to break down. Their bone density would start to become lighter. Their muscles would deteriorate. Their joints would deteriorate. And they'd come back and they'd be weaker versions of themselves. And so NASA and devised the technology to simulate and replicate the frequencies of the Earth to give them a baseline to help uh, recalibrate and create almost like this tuning fork for the body which eventually became like a tuning fork for the organs to create you know, a, a, a baseline resonance for health. But what they discovered in the process is there's different frequencies that actually affect different um, illnesses, different conditions. Uh, and so the mat itself, it's an incredibly intelligent piece of kit. Like it's, it's like fucking eight grand worth of kit. You, can, you have to get them sent over from Germany. It's, it's not an easy, you can get cheap shit ones, but this one is like the, the bee's knees. But you can literally get it to treat everything from tachycardia to irritable bowel disease to you know, different forms of cancer. Um, it really is an incredible piece of kit. And I find for me, I also use it with a, um, uh, the goggles, which are, oh gosh, what are they called? Bono. Sorry? Bono. Bono, yeah, the Bono goggles. Yeah, fuck you, mate. Um, <laughs> Basically, these goggles operate in three different frequencies. They operate um, using light, and they have earplugs as well, and sound. So that the mat creates a resonance for the body to almost like tune the organs and tune the body. You know, I can go and lay on the mat for 10 minutes, and you literally wake up, you stand up and be like, fuck, I actually feel pretty good. But what the, the goggles do is they create... Um, flashes and they use frequency in the ears, like kind of frequency. It's not like this fucking lovely music. It's like and what the frequency and the flashes do is it's called brain entrainment. And so what it does is the flashes and the frequency can literally, literally take over the brain and take it into alpha, beta or delta. And so those states are obviously correlated with everything from you know, stimulation all the way down to rest, all the way down to you know, healing. You know, because when, you, when your brain is in different states, it releases different chemicals that promote different things. Um, you know, and uh, when you're in oh, the sleep pattern, that's delta, is that right? Delta and beta? Theta. And theta, that's it. And so when you, get into, when you take yourself down to theta, it just puts the brain in the best possible position to release the right chemicals to help you know, the, the tuning of the body, to help the body repair itself. It is an incredible piece of kit. Like, it really is. I can, you know, I can, ha I can have a whole day, go a whole day, 12 hours speaking. I can feel completely like shit. I can jump on it for 12 minutes, and I can wake up and go, fuck, wow, I feel pretty good now. 
but it's one of those things, like for me, it's got three settings, you know, f for the, the brain entrainment. It's got your theta, and then, oh, I can't remember the two others, but the, highest, the, the high two are the stimulants, where it basically stimulates the brain to perform faster, and I find I can't use that setting. Like, I find if I use that setting, it, my brain does not need any encouragement. Uh, it literally, it, 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 it does not need to be stimulated at all. And so for me, it's, it would be very rare I use that. So that's probably another two percenter. Um, and yeah, look, another two percenter is just good psychology. Like just, you know, being very conscious and aware of the meanings in the moments that we're creating and not doing it as a part-time thing. So, so for me, like when I show you guys the user's manual, like, this shit's not part-time for me. Like, this is shit. Like, I have problems like everybody else. Please don't look at me and think that I don't have any problems. I have problems, okay? I, I have problems uh, personally. I have problems in business. I have problems, you know, mentally sometimes. I, I don't consider myself someone who suffers from mental health issues, but I do have issues around my psychology. Like, I, sometimes I have bad days. Sometimes I have good days. It is rare for me to have a bad day. Sometimes I miss my son so badly that, you know, I, I find myself crying in bed at night. Like, and so for me, I've, I'm, I'm always looking moment to moment to look to use the tools at any opportunity to balance things out. And so for me, the user's manual, that to me is like a 50% of but the psychology component and being aware of your psychology and being aware of the stories that we're creating and the meanings that we create in those moments, that is, such a prof that is so profound in terms of your ability to not only regulate your psychology and keep your mental health balanced, but the, 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 the cascade effect on the body from a biological perspective, from a hormone perspective, from a biochemical perspective, the, the benefits just, they just keep giving and giving and giving. And that's why I'm so passionate about ingraining this shit into you guys, like just over and over and over, you know, you, you know rather than teaching you new and fancy stuff every time. I'm Tara. Hey, um, Tara. Hi. So I'm launching my app next month, finally. Woohoo! Um, yay. <laughs> so I got asked a couple of times over the last few days, what's my go-to-market strategy? And I can't articulate that. So I just get to ask you, what are the couple of key things that I absolutely must have as part of a go-to-market stra strategy? So, and this is, this is helpful for anyone. If you're launching a new product, if you're launching a new business, um, if you're releasing something new, uh, is get your head around what's called a launch strategy. Um, and launch strategy, there's a great book you can read about it, which is called uh, Launch by Jeff Walker. Is it called Launch? Launch by Jeff Walker. Uh, he releases a program, in fact, it's kind of interesting, He's just, he releases it once a year for a couple of weeks. It's called Product Launch Formula. Um, I think that is a two or a $3,000 program, but it's like a whole video training series on exactly what I'm about to talk about here. But the basis is understanding um, a few things. Understanding pre-pre-launch, pre-launch, launch, mm -hmm. and post-launch. And you know, it, when you look at some of the greatest examples on the planet, Apple would be an incredibly great example of uh, a company that knows how to use the launch formula really, really well. Um, it was done really well. Uh, Nintendo Game Boy, uh, Tickle Me Elmo, you know, Cabbage Patch Dolls. There are a lot of different companies that know how to do this very well. Nike know how to do this well. And so what pre-pre-launch is, is when you start dropping seeds that something is coming. So, for example, um, when Apple do pre-pre-launch, uh, can anyone tell me what a pre-pre-launch is for Apple? A leak. That shit isn't an accident. Okay, that shit is, nine out of ten times, that shit is not an accident. It's what's called pre-pre-launch, where they start dropping things, you know, they accidentally leave a fucking phone somewhere, or, you know, they drop a blueprint, or something gets leaked, and then all of a sudden, <gasps> there's a new iPhone coming? Are you sure? And Apple's like, we are not commenting. No comment. So they drop 
that there's a secret something coming soon. And, and for us, you guys would have seen um, our pre-pre-launch for the podcast. Did anyone see our pre-pre-launch for the podcast? You know, me flying over to LA and around the place and going, Se- hashtag secret project. And so for fucking months now, if not a year, I've been ha- pe- having people message me on a regular basis going, so what's the secret project? So what's the secret project? So, what's the- so it creates buzz. Yeah. Then pre-launch is where you actually announce what's coming. But you don't launch it straight away. So what's pre-launch? What does Apple do for pre-launch? Set the date. The date of launch, so they say. No. Apple's pre-launch is when Tim Cook or Steve Jobs used to stand on stage and say, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to iPhone 74. <laughs> Let me show you what it can do. And then they literally, because when, when Tim Cook gets on stage or when Steve Jobs gets on stage and he does his pre-launch, you can't buy the fucking product. They're now showing you what the product is, and they're showing you all the features, all the development. We've listened to every single thing you've said. We've taken all the feedback from all the forums, and now look at what we've done. We have got the best iPhone we have ever created in the history of the world. And then guess what happens? People start going, fuck, I want an iPhone. And then what's launch? Launch is it will be available August 31 at your Apple retailer. And that's when you get kids, adults, and grandparents pitching tents in front of Apple stores for three or four days or for whatever the council restrictions will allow them to do. <laughs> Literally, they will pitch as, like, most people, they are only restricted by the council restrictions for, you know, for loitering. Mm. And so they'll hang out in front of the Apple store for three to four days, sleeping, you know, peeing in a can uh, until the doors open and then they rush in, and then they can finally buy the product. And then post-launch is where they start, actually start publishing all of the user stories okay. and what the users are doing with it. So look at that model and start thinking, okay, if your app's going to be ready when? It's going to be in the App Store October sometime. Okay, yeah. so what you need to do is you need to start creating buzz now within yeah. your community that something is coming. Yeah. And if you don't have a community, you need to start creating a community. Now, everyone here has a community. Who here has a Facebook profile? You have a community. So, you know, I used to do this before I even had a Facebook page. Okay? Yeah. And so you can literally start creating buzz. Hey, guys, just want to let you know we've got something amazing coming in the next couple of weeks. Keep an eye out. Yep. And the people start going, oh my God, that's amazing, that's awesome. What is it? Can you tell me? Will you tell me? And then like a week later, two weeks later, oh my God, I can't believe the meeting I just had. It was amazing. The thing that's coming is going to be so much better than I expected. Oh my God, it's going to be great. Hashtag secret project. Hashtag life changer. Whatever it is. Hashtag game changer. Yep. And then you create this buzz before you then going, now I can finally tell you what it is. On October 31, we are launching our app and our app is this. Here's a little, user, here's a little demo video of exactly how it works. And then October 31, boom, it's now available. You can now sell it, okay? And then post-launch, you start getting user profiles, user case studies, getting PR, and that kind of a thing to to keep the push going. Okay. And Apple do this with every iPhone, every single iPhone. So people go, well, is this a strategy you can only use once? No, you can use it for anything, any new product, any new service, anything new. Um, you know, if you've got a database, you can, you, can hook, you can do the same promotional schedule in the database. It doesn't have to be just on social media. It can be email-based. You know, Apple do it, not email-based. They're doing it at, fucking at, a, at, a, at, a, at a mass media level. So just you, you, if you use that basic model, yep. get the launch book. If you're really keen, you know, get Jeff Walker's product. I highly recommend it. Yep. Um, I get no financial kickback from that, but I do think Jeff is, a, Jeff is responsible for about 
I don't know. I think last count it was $750 million worth of launch. Yeah. Not just from him, from other clients that he's worked with in the last, I think it's about 10 or 12 years. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. You got it. One, okay. two, three. Was that helpful? Yeah, that was cool. Okay, go blue. Um, hey, Kevin. Just had a question. Who uh, are you? What is your name? Lena. Hi, Lena. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Um, I was just curious to know what you say to yourself when you are at your lowest point um, and when you know, the shit hits the fan yep. and you need to get out of that hole. I just, look, I literally go to like the, the stories that I know are going to lift me up. You got this. You can do this. Keep pushing. You are an animal. You are a beast. Like, um, I don't know if we've ever published any of my workouts where I'm fucking yelling at myself, but that's me doing it on the outside. Um, but there have been, uh, look, I can tell you right now, even just in the last, I even said this to you and Diego the last, um, uh, last, uh, like I think when we spoke the other night, like something that some of you may or may not know, um, I got, and again, I don't like labels, but if we're going to, just for context, I'll give you a label that was given to me uh, mid last year. Um, when my wife and I separated, we got um, separation counseling because I wanted to keep it as healthy as possible. I want to make sure it didn't fall apart. And so we had a number of sessions with this incredibly, incredibly bright therapist. And after the fourth session, she said, look, I would really love to, to, to give you some healthy feedback if you're open to it. I said, yeah, if I'm totally up to it. She goes, well, I'm not sure if you're aware, but you've got undiagnosed PTSD. And I, I remember at the time thinking, don't you know who the fuck I am? <laughs> I'm like, I ain't, I ain't got PTSD. I'm telling you right now, I ain't got PTSD. And I didn't say that to her. I was thinking to her, I was just like, oh, that's very interesting. Okay, let me sit on that for a moment. And... Um, I went away and luckily I started to research PTSD and I started to research it and I started to talk to other people. I just naturally, as a coincidence, I started to bump into people that were PTSD in treatment. And I started to talk to these people and I, I said, tell me about your experience with PTSD. What are the symptoms? What are the episodes? What are the experiences? And they started to tell me and I started going, fuck, I've got PTSD. And what some of you may not realize, like I've actually conducted um, full events in a full-blown PTSD episode. Like I, um, I think, I can't remember which Nissi it was last year, but was it December? No, I think it was, I can't remember. It's the one of me, there's a, there's a video of me literally in the green room and I've got a fucking sheet, like a, a, a blanket over my head. Um, I, I got triggered through something that happened in my personal life. And when you get triggered for a, PTS, a PTSD episode, you basically go into atrial fibrillation and I, I, I delivered a Nissi um, with a heart rate that didn't get below 100. And basically, I had a 100 to 120 beat heart rate for about five days. And for three of those days, I was delivering a Nissi. And I, so just imagine you're having the worst possible panic attack that you can possibly have. Your heart is pounding out of your chest. Your whole body just wants to shut down. And I had to deliver a Nissi. And I fucking crushed it absolutely fucking crushed it. And the only people who knew what was going on were, for the most part, people who either knew me really well and they could see the signs, or they were actually behind the scenes. But I literally, and do you know what I did to get through that? I, did, I used the user's manual. I used the user's manual. I meditated my, like I literally was meditating for, you know, trying my best. And I, I imagine this, I was trying to meditate and, and my heart rate was so high that every time I tried to meditate, I'd start to go down and then I'd literally go, because my body was throwing me out of meditation. Like my body was so overstimulated, it was throwing me out of meditation. And so I was, I was using the meditation. 
I was using the psychology tools. I was regulating like a motherfucker. You know, I was being conscious of the triggers around me and limiting my exposure to anything that was going to trigger me. I was being very conscious of the language and the ego and how it was playing out. And I just kept on setting the intention to serve. I just kept, and for me, what got me through that was my intent to serve. And I just kept on saying, I'm your tool, I'm your weapon, I am your balm. Like, just use me, I am yours, use me. Use me for what I'm here to do. And I just kept on asking for help to serve. It had nothing to do with me. I just kept on saying, I'm not here for me, I'm here for them. And yeah, we got through it, crushed it. It was actually, based on some feedback, the best Nissi, one of the best Nissis we've actually ever run. So there's nothing new. I just use the tools, and I use the language that is most supportive for the situation that I'm in. Does that make sense? And again, I hope in me sharing that, that it doesn't give you an opportunity to judge me, because I'll give you fucking plenty, but it gives you an opportunity to realize I'm just as human as everybody else. I really am. If not more human, you know, because I probably, the reason I've got to where I am, and some people may have heard this before, you may not, the reason I've got to where I am, the reason I've developed these tools is because once upon a time, I was a kid with a lot of problems. I was a kid that was in a lot of pain, had a lot of pain, I had a lot of issues, I had a lot of stuff that I had to deal with. And I went on a journey of learning how to work this shit out, but my intent was, I want to work this shit out, not just so that I can heal myself, I want to work this shit out because I want to heal the world. Like, that was my, that was my fucking operating system. And so as I was working my shit out, I was documenting. I was testing, I was measuring, I was going and trying different stuff, and I was, you know, cross-pollinating stuff, and I was just trying to find stuff that worked. And I'm, not tell I'm telling you now, the user's manual is what got me through. Um, and I'm lucky, that's probably the worst episode that I've had from PTSD, and it was something that was quite traumatic that triggered that, but I just wanted to share that with you to give you context. I haven't had an episode like that ever, but it was just something that I thought would think might be helpful for where some people are at right now. That's great. Thank you. Can I quickly just ask just something <laughs> short? Um, I also wanted to know, what do you also tell Noah constantly apart from I love you? Like I tell him, oh, I, I lose count, but I tell him, I have these things, you are like all the time, I go, Noah, you are so brave. Noah, you are so wise. Noah, you are so conscious. Noah, you are so smart. Noah, you are so, like I literally, this kid is going to develop like such a powerful level of self-esteem because I am so conscious, like I am so consciously programming his psychology right now. Like this kid is either going to be fucking end up in jail <laughs> as, a, as a criminal mastermind, okay, or he's going to end up doing something profound either at a small level within his own, you know, within his, within his own community or within his own family uh, or at, at possibly a global level because, I, like, to me, it's my, it's, to me, it's the ultimate science project. And again, I don't want to say that to take the, the emotion out of it, but that's what we all are. Like, we, all, we are all products of our environment. We are all products of our upbringing. And, you know, if you want to understand the impact of your upbringing, just look at the issues that you have and where you are in your life right now. And I don't say that in a judgmental way. I just say that in a, you know, and I refer to the book by James Oliver that's about parenting that's called They Fuck You Up, you know, and that in itself describes most most adults who have issues, those issues in most cases are a product of wounds that were developed in their early childhood. And like, so for me, my goal is to condition, program, develop, you know, this, I, I want to, I'm, I'm creating a superhuman. And look, he, he may end up fucking rejecting everything, but what I know is I'm creating such a strong foundation at this point, no matter where he goes, I honestly believe his true north will be stronger than any other influence because he is just so, so, so programmed. So, yeah, yeah, so programmed. <laughs> we all are, but and just, just so that this doesn't sound like a fucking brainwashing exercise, because you might go, well, fucking live, give the kid free will. 
look, we, we are all products of the suggestions that we were given by the people that were closest. You guys agree, understand this, right? And so for me, it's just, yeah, it's a very conscious approach to parenting. Hope that helps. One, two, three. All right, we'll do two more questions. We'll go blue and then we'll go green. Stand up, introduce yourself. Hi, Cohen. Um, my name's Fee. Hey, Fee. Thanks, thanks for this opportunity. You're welcome. I've got a two-part question. Oh, here we go. Um, Is that a fancy way of saying I've got two questions? <laughs> part A, part B. Um, so this morning we heard from the speakers there was a bit of a theme around um, hustle, grit. Mm -hmm. um, resilience. Both, resilience. Both had examples where potentially that hustle and that grit led to burnout mm -hmm. or even a universe giving them a significant accident yep. that put them into a very receptive state. Yeah, shake up to wake up. Yeah. So what's the role of being yin or being in a receptive state to achieve, to achieve a superhuman state yep. rather than focusing solely on the hustle, the striving, the doing? To me... Like if we look at, if we really start to define superhuman nature, like a component of superhuman nature is vulnerability. And, the, and you only achieve vulnerability through wounds. You, and you can only be wounded through vulnerability. And most people, when they receive a wound, they don't become more vulnerable, they become less vulnerable. And in many cases, they lose the lesson that was actually there to serve them in the first place. So for me, uh, have you heard of feathers, bricks, and trucks? No. Okay, so when it comes to those situations that are there to balance us out, is that where the question is? I guess um, the question is, I, this is part B. Okay. Um, could that success or becoming superhuman, being solely reliant on hustle and grit, could yep. that be a story? Could our consciousness oh, as a paradigm be shifting absolutely. where actually we can create a superhuman state yes. and a more of a receptive yes. yin state yes. where we spend time more than doing but we spend time, say, two hours, three hours connecting to that quantum field or more of a receptive state so that what we create is um, less hustle, it's, less grit? That's a really powerful question and it's a very big paradigm. But when you look at all of the... Um, and again, I'm now going to spiritual scripture, like when you look at spiritual yeah. scripture, and I'm, I'll go straight to Buddha, and there are many other philosophers that had the same kind of doctrine where they refer to pain is essential. You know, pain is, you know, Buddha said it best, you know, pain, uh, the greater the pain, the greater the awakening, you know. And so for me, one of the things that I realize is in order for us to develop as humans, we must have the whole experience. And I don't think you can have the whole experience without ex experiencing and expressing pain. Yeah. Like to me, I honestly believe that pain is an incredibly important part of our experience because without it, you know, we, we don't learn how to develop the skills that are required to push through in the situations where that is required. Mm -hmm. So, you know, is it possible for people to develop grit and resilience without pain? I've never met anyone that has. I'm not against meeting someone that, that can do it. But what I do know is that yeah, there is, and again, maybe this is just a story, and I'm completely open to that, but I do believe that whether you call, however you want to classify pain, whether you're classifying pain as emotional or you're classifying pain as a form of resistance, you know, when you look at every aspect of nature, in order to create, do you know how you create the strongest trees? You put them in the wildest weather. Mm. You know, the, the, like, um, I'm trying to think, is it the redwood forest in... Um, San Francisco, 
Like those trees become so massive, not because of necessarily just the origins of the trees, but they also have severe weather conditions that, you know, literally from that, 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 that strong, those strong weather conditions, that creates these robust and, robust and very strong trees. You know, and if you look in the an animal kingdom, you know, struggle creates strong, you know, herds. And if you look at, you know, just humanity in general, one of the things that we have learned the most from is from painful experiences. Mm. Um, so look, it's a big question and it's one that I'm very open to. I do believe, though, that we can become addicted to pain and we can become addicted to challenge. Um, I had this conversation with John Martini years ago. This would have been maybe seven, eight, nine, maybe ten years ago where we were having a conversation. We were at a breakfast together and we were talking about pain and we were talking about resistance and how, you know, you know, the greatest level of growth happens at the border between chaos uh, and peace. And he said to me, wow, you really do, and we're talking about stuff, and he goes, wow, like you really do manifest a lot of challenge. And I was like, well, yeah, but that's where the growth is, and mm. that's my highest value. And so my highest value is growth, and I'm going to manifest challenge in order to grow. And he goes, who says you need challenge in order to grow? Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, you know, he repeated something, and I won't be able to repeat it verbatim, but he said, look, I'm not saying challenge doesn't promote growth, but you also have to understand you can achieve equal part, equal, equal opportunity for growth from equally opposite charge. So you can achieve just as much growth from peace as you can from chaos. Mm -hmm. And at that time, my whole brain at that time went, fucking, fucking what? Like, I, didn't even in, I couldn't even entertain it as a concept. And then I started to entertain it as a concept because I started to realize one of the reasons I, I was, because 10 years ago, burnout was like my fucking badge. Like, I was burning out quite a lot. I was working harder than anyone, I was hustling harder than everyone, and so I started to realize, fuck, maybe I don't have to hustle so hard, and I did start to pull back, and I, I honestly don't know whether or not I would have got there without that level of hustle in the first place, and that's what Goggins was saying. Yeah. You know, he was saying that you know, often in life, it is through the pain and, and through the, the, the stuff that we go through that our path is actually revealed in the first place, and I honestly believe you know, that's been a big part of mine, but I'm very grateful for the fact now that I am aware that I don't need to manifest chaos to have my needs met. I can actually grow in a nice peaceful relationship. I can grow in a nice peaceful business. I don't need my business falling apart in order to grow. I don't need my relationship falling apart in order to grow. I don't need my health falling apart in order to grow. And it has had a significant impact on me. Thank you. You got it. Thanks for listening to Hey Kerwin. If you would like your questions answered, don't forget to use the hashtag Hey Kerwin on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn.